We're continuing where we left off uh, in our worship service. It is uh, July 26, 2020, and we're going to pick up with the thought of the week in prayer. All right, here we go with the thought of the week, and this is from Ephesians. The incomparable riches of his grace. Here we see the value of what God has done in us from his perspective. The word incomparable in Greek is hupovalo, if I'm coming close to pronouncing that correctly, which means to surpass in throwing or to throw over or beyond anything, to transcend, surpass, exceed, or excel, or excelling and exceeding, according to Thayer. I included all the definitions here because I wanted to be sure we have the idea. It surpasses all that we can imagine. We, when we see words like this used of what God has done for us, we know that it is something extra special. This word is an adjective to describe the riches of his grace. We cannot see this in terms of human wealth. We have to see this from God's perspective and hence what he considers ultimately valuable. This is not human wealth, but divine wealth, freely given to us. This display of grace is the greatest ever in human history. Why do I say that? Because God says it, it is incomparable. It excels and surpasses anything he has ever done. Now, will there be something greater in the future? Will there be a greater bestowal of grace in the future? No because he said this blessing would be used in the coming ages to show his creatures the greatest work ever. We are trophies of his grace, used to demonstrate his gracious character to creatures in coming ages. What does this mean for the recipients of this matchless grace? Whatever you do in life, be sure to take some time to answer this question for yourself. And that is the thought of the week. I'd like to offer a short commentary on that. It's just to say that what leads to glorious results, this surpassing, excelling perspective that God has of what he has done, is just starts with wonderful beginnings. Just the simple gospel, just believing in Christ. This is not something that we have done. Um, but this is something that has God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Trusting and believing in him gives us an opportunity to know him. So what do we do with that matchless grace that he has bestowed upon us? That is an important question. Let us start with believing in Christ, trusting him for our soul salvation, and letting him lead us to these glorious results through his word. And that is my commentary. And at this time, I'd like to proceed into giving prayer on our behalf. So there are a number of things that I already have in mind that I'd like to pray for. Is there anything special that would like you would like to be having seen? Pray for the church. All right, then. 
um, local, our church, Word of Truth, as well as the Church mm -hmm. Universal. Yes, these are the first two items on my list. Mm -hmm. And Fred and Maya's family. Mm -hmm. All, right. All right, let us bow our heads before our Father in heaven. Dear Father, what wonderful surpassing grace you have bestowed upon us. Let us take your time to carefully and uh, carefully assimilate the information you have given us. Embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. Cooperate with him and letting him do his job of guiding us into all truth. And we pray that this will happen through the means that we have available to us now, even the Word of Truth, Christian Church, local, which we are participating in at this moment. And we know many, it has touched the lives of many people. I pray that they too, wherever they may be, um, would be touched by the Holy Spirit and drawn to you. We pray also for the church, church universal, the entire body of Christ. It is not just us, but there are believers and even mature believers throughout the world that you know of. And we pray for their success that they would know the inheritance, um, the unsearchable riches of your grace and the inheritance that they have in Christ. And the guarantee that you have given us through the Holy Spirit for that. Let us all take advantage of whatever word we have available to us and time for it. Prayer and reflection and meditation. I pray for all those who are currently facing struggle in this world. Surely the COVID-19 virus or disease seems to be spreading. And uh, I, I pray for uh, continued safety and for many believers and people that we want to help uh, partner with you to draw into uh, your salvation and lead them, lead them into all truth. We pray for um, for us and for others to be able to grow into the fullness of Christ, who is the perfect image of the infant God. And we pray that we may know his love and adapt your plan to bring many sons into glory. And we also pray for our families and extended families, those saved and not saved, that we would have opportunity to make it plain to them what is not only the simple gospel, but what is the mystery, that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and you love us just as you have loved Christ. I pray these things in his name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Dwight. Much appreciated. We are going to continue where we left off uh, with John chapter 14, verse 27. It reads, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So we're continuing in your notes. You should have notes. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Most everyone I know wants peace in their lives. For the disciples, they were getting ready for the toughest time in their lives. Jesus would be forcefully arrested and beaten and then crucified before them. Then he would die. 
Imagine that, their Messiah, the one they had left their homes, families, and livelihood, and had been following for the past three and a half years now. He is dead. He was the one in which all of their hopes and dreams were invested. Obviously, the peace Jesus left them was not the absence of trouble and hard times. However, they would learn it was something of great value that would guide their steps in the future. We need to discuss this peace so that our hearts will not be troubled and afraid as we walk in this world. So we are just going to start right in with uh, where we are. The first phrase is just three phrases that I want to talk about. And it just works out in this verse that they are three sentences. So the first one is, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So the first thought is, what is this peace Jesus is leaving with them? So I know Bill asked the question earlier, but... That is exactly what the first question was. What is this peace that Jesus was leaving with them? And I will have to bear on the context here. It is the sure promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, Helper, Spirit of Truth. So if you look at verse 17, that's where he says he was going to send the Spirit of Truth. Let me get to that. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then we already know 20 on that day, on that day, what? On that day when the Holy Spirit comes, that's the uh, anticipation that the disciples had was the spirit will come and all these things would happen. And then, um, Obviously, you know, we have to make sure we, we, we follow the context. And then in verse 26 as well, uh, this is the verse last week that we discussed. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So then the very next verse, peace I leave with you. So what is this peace? It is the promise of the Holy Spirit, because they didn't get it yet, but it will be the promise of it that is to come. So keep continuing on with that thought. With Jesus removed from their presence, the promise of the Spirit is given to stabilize their minds amid the turmoil to come. Now, they weren't obviously prepared for all the turmoil to come. But this was an attempt to stabilize or give them some, some stability for the things that they had to face going forward, which was uh, quite a bit of ups and downs that they would have to eventually face. So Jesus wouldn't be there. He is the one who would be arrested, as we said earlier, and beaten and crucified and you know flogged before he was crucified and then crucified and then they watched him die now there's 
nothing that leaves an impression on you uh, like watching somebody you love die. And that's a tough thing. And uh, we can understand that from the standpoint of uh, people we love personally in our lives. But here was someone who they had invested everything in. So it is about Jesus giving them comfort. Let's continue on in our notes as this develops. Point C. Not only the promise of the Spirit, but the unfolding of the Father's plan. Now this is, you know, part of what Jesus did to, to give them comfort, to comfort the disciples. Remember, they were upset. They were afraid when Jesus told them he was going away. So part of him giving comfort to them is what he told them about the promise of the Spirit and the unfolding of the Father's plan. He made them aware of their suffering in a context. So I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through, through 7. So I'll start. It says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's, that's what we need in this hour, right, for the disciples because they needed comfort. Now listen to this. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is important. Verse 4 is very important of how not only we take the comfort that we receive from God and we are able to help others who are struggling and uh, fearful and in trouble. We can take that. And, and you know the comfort that we receive in this case where Jesus is talking to the disciples has to do with the unfolding of the Father's plan. So yeah, me going away is one piece of it. I know you're upset about that, but let me unfold the rest of it to you so that you can put this all in perspective. You can put it in the context so that you know that I have not abandoned you. I have not left you helpless as orphans. There's a plan. And the unfolding of that brought comfort to the disciples. So verse 4, again, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Continuing, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So this is Paul speaking about how it works uh, for him and how uh, even though he had to go undergo a lot of sufferings, it was for others to come to understand as well. And the comfort is relative to God's the sufferings that we have. These sufferings are part of the plan. 
It's a part of what we have to do while we're in the world. Just as God sent Christ into the world, the Father, so Christ says he sends us into the world. Now we're on the battlefield. So we have to understand the context of suffering. It is not gratuitous. God's not happy because we have to suffer. He, he's, he doesn't get pleasure from our suffering. But we should know that our suffering has a definite purpose. And that purpose is found as we unfold the Father's plan. We see how it all fits together. So, so let's continue on. I think I'm on point D. Um, point D, Jesus built a hope in their hearts through the unfolding of the plan. So, so we said initially that it was about the Holy Spirit, right? The promise of the Holy Spirit, the expectation of that, right? So now, then we said, well, not only did he talk about the Holy Spirit coming, but he, he spoke about the spiritual life that we're going to have. And the unfolding of the Father's plan. So, so what does that do for us? It creates hope. And this is what we, we are saying here, that Jesus built hope in their hearts. And it was through the unfolding of the plan. And that brought comfort. The hope is what brought them comfort. And the hope is about them understanding the fullness of the plan. Right? They wouldn't have all of it, but Christ gave them enough at that point so that they could understand that what they were going through was a process. And, and even he, so, he's been telling them about this process all along. He was saying things like, you know, the Son of Man is going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be beaten and killed and and then on the third day he would rise again. And, you know, but the disciples only heard what was fearful and they couldn't understand. And that was that he was going to be beaten and, and he was going to have to die and suffer and all these things. And they were thinking, no, this should not happen to you. No way. So how did they understand this? Well, we have to build this out into a plan. And... Jesus said, it, you should be glad that I'm going away to the Father. Now, look at that. He turned what he said initially. Hey, you, you know, they were upset because he's leaving and they're fearful. He turned that into, after he unfolded the plan a bit to them, he, he says, you should be glad that I'm going away now. And this is the, the verse we're going to have next week. We'll talk more about that as we continue. But, Back to our notes, this is the thought he built hope in their hearts. And that hope has, remember, is not just um, that you know, that you, you hope something's going to happen in the future. It's a confident expectation of what God said would happen in the future. It's confidently depending on and trusting in the promises of God. It's just like I say to you, you are going to get your resurrection body. And that hope goes beyond whatever happens when you, if the fact that you have to leave here, you may have to die physically, 
but you're not to worry or be concerned about all of that because God said that you will have a resurrection body for sure. That's a hope. We don't have it yet, but we're, we are confident that even if we die, that God, there's, we're going to be present with the Lord and that we will again have a resurrection body. We should be. We should know that those. There, there are certain things that we should absolutely know for sure. And now, even though it hasn't happened yet, we know it. We have hope. And when we live, we live. Our our life is is colored by that hope because we don't fear. We're not worried that we have to leave here. We're not worried that we have to die. We have hope. Future, and I should have said. It's a, it's a confident future expectation that was given them by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and was also, uh, we have to say, given to Christ by means of the Father. And verse 24 bears that out, where it says, The words you hear are not mine, they belong to the Father. Right? So we, we should... Make sure we're aware that the Father is the one whose plan this is. And Jesus is the agent of the Father in this uh, scenario. Let's continue. we got to move on. Um, so point E, my peace I give you. So Jesus not only said, peace I leave with you. Then he says, my peace I give you. So point E is the hope for future expectation was given to them by the Lord Jesus revealed by the Father. Right? And even though I think we covered this part, but we just wanted to emphasize the my peace, which is different from the world's peace. And interestingly enough, we're going to cover a lot about what the world gives. But when Jesus says, it's not just peace I leave with you, but it's my peace. And we're going to see the difference in that part of it. Point F. The plan was revealed through Jesus, and they needed to trust their Lord. Just like it says in verse 1 of 14. Remember, they were upset. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe all as you believe in God believe also in me so in verse 1 he was saying the things I'm going to say to you should engender trust and hope so you have to put your trust in me and my words that's how I'm going to comfort or bring comfort to your hearts so it's this this plan from the father is new it is not something you already know. You have to sit up and pay attention. Listen. So Jesus says, if you, those who love my teachings, who retain it. And there's another one in John 15 that says, it says, if you keep my teachings in your mind, right? In other words, you guard them in your mind, then it shows that you love me. So this is part of it, right? This is the internal meditation that we need in order to get to the place where we have comfort in our hearts. 
we don't have com we don't we don't have trust and comfort in looking at the world and seeing the turmoil and trouble that we're going through the comfort comes in trusting the words of Jesus as the father's he unveils the father's plan point G for believers we can be comforted comforted with the peace while in the world no matter how bad things get down here we know the rest of the story I don't know if you've ever heard Paul Harvey radio right it's, it was a commentary show back in the 60s and I don't know if it's where it stretched, but I know it was in the 60s. And one phase of, toward the end of the, his broadcast, he made these words famous. And now you know the rest of the story. You know, it went something like this, if you re recall. Uh, this is how it would sound. Well, now you know why. Because now you know the rest of the story. So that's Paul Harvey back in, in that day. And he would end his radio broadcast with that familiar phrase, now you know the rest of the story. Think about that. Now you know the rest of the story because you have had opportunity to understand what the Father's plan is. Even though there is suffering, we have that in a context. Even though you may have to suffer in this world, there's a context for it. So how did the disciples look at that? They finally understood that, and they looked at that. And a good example of this is in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and the others were brought before uh, those leaders in Jerusalem and, and they, were, they beat him, they literally, with the cat of nine tails, they whipped him because of, they didn't want them going around talking about Jesus. And they suffered. That's hard to be stripped down and, and beaten like that. A lot of people would have said, okay, no more for me. Whatever it was I did, I, <laughs> I certainly repent. But after they beat them, and they stood them back up in front of those magistrates again, those Jewish leaders, and they said, what are we going to do with these guys? They said, well, we're going to let them go. You know, we're going to let them go, but we just charge them with this. They do not go around talking about this Jesus anymore. And you know what the disciples said. I could turn to Acts. I know this isn't in our notes. This is just some a story I'm recalling in Acts chapter 5. So it says, uh, I'll, I'll read it. They arrested him, put him in jail. This is verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors. Uh, let me see. Is that where it is? Hold on. Ah, here it is. So, after they had been beaten, right? So, verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty for this man's blood, is what they said. Peter 
And the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man or human beings. Uh, so it, it, whatever happened, uh, the result was it didn't matter. So if you look at what happened, uh, if you continue, look at verse 41. There was some conversation that, that went on. But if you go to all the way down to 41, this is the end, end point of it. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Listen what they did. They were beaten now. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So notice how they turned that around. See, how, why did they turn it around like that? Because they know the rest of the story. That's exactly why. So hopefully you can benefit from that attitude. And so you're on the battlefield right now, whether you know it or not. You are on the battlefield. And you will experience suffering. As Paul said, there's, if you attempt to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. There's no doubt about it. You will suffer persecution. So point number two, I do not give. So here's the whole phrase. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world does or gives. So you can see my King James uh, memorization kicking in. Even if I read the scriptures in the NIV, King James overshadows it from time to time. So that's what that is. I do not give to you as the world gives. Let's look at the first point. How does the world give peace? And I'm hoping I'm asking questions that are in your mind, right? Just like we said before, when Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. Well, what is this peace? Let's just directly make sure we address what it is, right? So I do not give to you as the world gives. <laughs> what is this peace that the world gives? So if you look at the definitions of what peace is and how the world perceives peace, the absence of war or trouble or turmoil, or is a state of tranquility, harmony, concord. That's how the world looks at peace. Peace may be as a result of two warring factions coming to terms so that they don't have to go to war. So what is what do we call that then? Peace. Right? The, the, the absence of war. So that is how the world looks at peace. If you don't have trouble in your life, if, if there's calm, peace is, peace is like the waters being calm and laying down. Turmoil is where the waters are 10 feet waves and there's all kinds of uh, trouble and so forth. That's how the world looks at peace and tranquility. But remember, this is not what Jesus said, how you're going to get peace. Because we know in this world there's going to be tumultuous and there's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulty and between rock and a hard place type situations for us. So it's, it's, we don't get that. We get what Jesus has given us. Not, and he says he's, he's not given us what the world 
has. Now, a lot of people would rather have what the world has. They, they have enough trouble in their lives, and they're like, hey, I would like peace. I would like no trouble. But they're not like the disciples are they? after being beaten. They left rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering. Disgrace for the name. So, and did they stop teaching? No. They never stopped. So day after verse 42, this is Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and pro pro proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Never stopped. Imagine that. Most people would be coerced and fearful and, and worried. Not them. So, so this, that's one of, one of the ways to think about it. Let's go back to our notes, point B. I do, not give, I do not give to you. In other words, this is the first phrase of what Jesus says. I do not give to you as the world gives. The peace that Jesus gives is not from the world. And I'll quote, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. So what we, we determined was, just like in verse 17, that, that is verse 17, by the way, that the world can't get with the kind of peace or the promise of the Spirit. Remember we said peace, what is it? It is the sure promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, right? The Spirit of Truth. That, that's what he unfolded to them. That that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen until he dies, you know, gets buried, is resurrected, and ascends, and is seated with the Father, and they send the Holy Spirit. So there are things that have to happen before they get to this point where uh, they understand, right, of where they understand. So the world can't accept this, because the world's not getting the Holy Spirit. Believers are. The world is not going to benefit in any way or have the Father's plan unfolded to them because the world cannot receive uh, the Spirit. It says it right here in verse 17. And then, obviously, we have 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 9, 9 and 10. I think I'll go ahead and turn to it. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, which you... You probably can quote it better than I can at this point. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So, when it says that he will be with you, he will be in you, uh, these are things that the world cannot receive. That's because uh, where eye has not seen, these things are outside of the realm of human understanding or human possibility, capability. Yeah, that's 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. Point C, what were the disciples to expect from the world? And... Here it is. I have told, here's a quote. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have 
trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in this, um, you have uh, Jesus saying there's going to be trouble in the world. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. This is the thing. You've got to look at um, Jesus' words here. In the world, in this world, you will have trouble. That bears repeating. Because the expectation, for some reason, that people have is that they, because they believe in God and believe in Christ and so forth, that they should have peace in this world. That is not it. Jesus is telling you the opposite. I do not give to you as the world gives. He's telling the opposite here. And I would hope everybody takes this to heart. As, and why? Because then we have the rest of the story. We know what the future of this world is. It helps us integrate what we're doing here the hardships, the trouble, the trials that we go through as a re for his name and how to put that in perspective. Let's keep going. Point D. Not only so, we are in Christ, uh, the future ruler of this world. Right? Uh, the current ruler is Satan who will naturally hate us. Now we should know reasons for why the world hates us. We should have a good understanding of how that works. And Satan is a dethroned ruler. Well, he's not dethroned, but he's a defeated ruler. He will be dethroned at the second advent of Christ. Christ is not coming back just to be here. He's coming back to take the reins of this world. In fact, it says in Revelation, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So Christ is coming as the ruler and he will be in person. He will be here. As Satan is invisible now, but his influences are not. His influences are pretty well seen. As not only that, the leadership that he has is seen in the mess that this world happens to be. But Christ, who will come, will put things in order. Right? So so what happens? What's Satan's attitude toward you? Because you are in Christ. His attitude toward you is one of hate. Let's look at it. John chapter 15. So go there. 15. And the verses 18 through 21 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, this, this is to put this in context, um, making sure that you don't see yourself as the victim here. And then many people, as soon as something happens to them, they internalize it as though uh, they did something or it is as a result of you know, who they are. Listen, you're in this world and you are in Christ, so automatically these are things you ought to know. The world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you.
So, so if you wanted to know, see that last phrase, right? Why does the world hate you? Is answered. That is why the world hates you. You should have that right there to understand how, what you're doing and how suffering should be seen in this world. That is suffering for Christ. That is. That's how it should be seen. And the world is never going to be your friend. You, it will not come around to liking you. Uh, you won't make an impression in the world that the world will finally say, yes, that, now we do come to understand. We didn't like you before, but now we do. That's never going to happen for you. The world will hate you to your death. And that's the end of it. it will, they will not change their mind about how they feel about you. And it's because you belong to Christ. So, so here, um, that was 15, that was John chapter 15. And I think uh, we looked at a few thoughts there. There's a lot in John 15, and I'm saying when we get there, there's more. So let's continue. 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching... They will obey yours also. What did they do to Christ and his teaching? What, were their, what was their reaction to his teaching? They said it was blasphemous. And not only that, they put him on the cross. They said, crucify him. So if they, if they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. And verse 21, they will treat you this way. Because of my name, because of who I am, for they do not know the one who sent me. And that is, they don't know the Father's plan. And that they don't know the Father, and they don't understand what the Father is revealing through Christ. That's the problem. So we make, we got to make sure we get that point, right? And I'm going to go to another one. I think I quoted this already, John 17. And uh, it's looking at here, verse 14. Really, I think it's here. I have given them the, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Right. So there it is. Uh, the hatred that we have has to do with the word that is in us. And we are set apart, as it says, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So what sets us apart in this world? What, what the world comes to know of us is that we are set apart unto the word. And that is the very catalyst for the world hating us. So things are not going to get better for us. Things are going to continue in the same way. So let's continue uh, with point E. Conclusion. Our hope should not be in this world. This is, if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 7.32. Um, let's see what that says. Let's see if I... So it says, I would like you to be free from concern. Um... I think it's not, it's actually 30, 
Is it 32? I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Actually, it should be 731. <laughs> so you can correct your notes there, and I'm correcting mine. Not to say 32 can't be good, a good scripture to, to get context, but the one I was thinking of was 731. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. But in the Father's eternal purpose, right, we know that that continues on forever. So the world is going to pass away. What we see here in this world is passing away. But, and back to your notes, but in the Father's eternal purpose, we find the context for what's going to happen. That this is God's eternal purpose. And this is where he has introduced uh, the thoughts and intents of his heart. And he's called out the church. We, uh, are in particular, are the church. So we have to make sure, right, we have drawn that conclusion. So what is our hope focused in? The world? No, the world is going to be destroyed. I used to make the analogy... It would be like, if you knew a company is going to go bankrupt, if you knew it, for sure, would you invest all of your money into that company? No, it would be a waste. You know, the, comp the company is not going to succeed. It's not going to prevail. It's going to go belly up. So what's going to happen to your hope of all of that you invested in that? It's also going to go belly up. So the world, don't invest, this is the thought, in the world. It's going to be destroyed, right? So I say, note the destiny of the world. So just so you know, what's going to happen? If you invest everything in the world, what will happen? I'm going to go to Isaiah 34, 4 for this first scripture. Isaiah 34, 4. It says, all the stars in the sky will be dissolved, and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. I like the picturesque language here. But I'm going to move also to Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, to continue talking about the world and all that, uh, the destiny of the world. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you, will rem but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. So this is how the transition will happen and how the world will eventually, like it says, like an, it will wear out like a garment. This, like if you wore your favorite jeans for a long time after a while, they were, oh, I shouldn't use jeans because people like it when holes are in jeans nowadays. But your favorite garment, and then it wears out and it's no longer good. So what happens? You roll it up and you discard it and there's going to be new raiment new clothing 
And that's the analogy given here. Hopefully that is... And, uh, and follow that up with Second Peter 3, which you know as well. Second Peter 3, uh, down toward, here it is, 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a, like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live live, holy lives. You ought to live holy and godly lives. So again, with respect to the future, right, and you're knowing of it, how should you behave? Right? What kind of life should you live? It's the same thing as we have been talking about. Once we know, then we can relate to how uh, our suffering and what is the importance of our life in the world, on the battlefield. So that's the destiny of the world. We don't want to invest in that. It should not be this world. In fact, many people have asked me questions like, oh, what do you think is happening? What do you think is going on? Is this a judgment? Is this a this? Right. And what I help them to understand is that this world is going to be destroyed. In fact, the Bible says, which I didn't put in here, but that it's going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers will get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. This world is passing away. Eventually, it will be, as we saw physically, it will be destroyed. So, Jesus is saying here, back to our notes, do not let your hearts... He says, uh, <coughs> well, let's start from the top. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. This last phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the first thought is the peace left to us should help us stem the fear and worry. So this peace, which is really the unfolding, the hope, right? For the disciples, it was the coming, the inauguration of this new age, the church age, and the dynamics of that spiritual life and how Christ will be with them forever. Christ in you is the Christian life. Because I live you also will live. There's so much there that the disciples were, were given as hope. And this is part of it. it. It should help something. And what was going on right now was their worry, their fear, their anxiety about Christ saying he was going to leave them. And why can't they follow? Right? Oh, we can't follow. But we're coming later. Okay, but you're leaving us. And Christ had told them all of the tumultuous things that would happen that will, would be in their immediate future. So them knowing this is supposed to help them get their focus off of those events that were uh, threatening and on to the Father's eternal purpose. It should stem it, right? Don't let your heart, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. It goes back all the way to the first verse where Jesus said it in point B. All the teaching, all the teaching that was given was for this purpose, so that they would have 
stabilized thinking. Remember, we are talking about the people who are the foundation of the church. And the church is God's magnum opus. It is his highest achievement ever. It's like we were reading about incomparable. You know, and this is God, the, you could say right here, is the greatest thing God ever did. Now, some people might say, well, this is the creation of all things. Well, why did he create all things? It's because of this. This is the greatest thing God ever did. Get your mind on eternal things, things that are not seen in the world and not on things that are seen. So that's that point B, which we had right, we went right into. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Just like in verse 1, you can see that Jesus said that. Uh, from the very beginning, before he even told them any whys and wherefores, he told them, "Believe. Don't let your don't let your hearts be troubled. Believing you believe in God, believe also in me." And then he goes on to talk about how he's going away to the Father's house. He will come back and he will take them to be with him. He's given unfolding the Father's plan to them. Point C. The disciples would implode at first. So now we know all the things they went through. Yes, they did not. Uh, they imploded, right? So we got to say, let's look at it. So, and the scripture I have here is John 16 and 32. So 32 says, a time is coming. In fact, has come. When you will be scattered, each to, to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So, interesting, uh, the disciples said uh, the context of that statement, just to put it in, in context, go back to verse um, 29. After Jesus had endured and talked and talked, this is what he says, then Jesus Jesus' disciples said, this is 1629, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So Jesus says in verse 31, Do you now believe? Jesus replied, and then he said, okay, well, then you ought to know this as well, that you're going to go through some tough times, right? You, you believe, you got that? Now, let me tell you, let's use that to help your hope. So as you go through these tough times, you can now focus on what is really true. Now, you know, some of this had to weigh on the disciples, right? All this talk about what would happen, the trouble, and eventually they would have to come to grips with this stuff. Can you imagine when the women came to uh, Peter and the disciples there uh, who were in fear in the upper room and told them, that we have seen the Lord, the Lord is risen. Peter, it says, he took off and they ran to the tomb. I can imagine the expectation in his heart. Really, what? we saw him die. But all that was 
echoing in his mind about what Jesus told him about how he would die and how he would be raised. And imagine the excitement as he ran to the tomb. So I, I see Jesus prepared them for what was going to happen. He didn't sugarcoat it. He told them straight. So yes, they would implode, the disciples, at first. But then they would regroup. So when you see 16.1 as well, he says, All this I have told you, so that, this is John 16.1, I have told you, so you will not fall away. And this is part of us understanding love. Not only are, love had two facets to it. One was that they had to understand and love the Father's plan. Right? Love the teachings. Be obedient to them. Committed to them. Devoted to them. But not only to that, but to each other as well. And that love is what he said here in 16.1, All this I have said, I told you, so that you will not fall away. And they could have fallen away to the point where that was it. They didn't want to see or hear. They just might be hiding forever and just live a life of, you know, disappointment, fear. But that wasn't the case. They regrouped. They got back together. And we know that they are now the foundation. These are the apostles, right? And we are not, we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And that faith, that doctrine, that was once for all delivered to the saints, the body of truth there, is from these apostles who laid it down for us. We're not to change it. We're not to adjust it. We have to teach it. We have to contend for it. We have to fight for it. That is the very foundation of the church. Yeah. Point D. We're almost done. Love versus fear. Let's look at 1 John 4.18. Now let's look at something here with love. 1 John chapter 4 says here, uh, really, again, as I pick these verses out, hopefully you guys will read the context. And the context here is rich. But uh, for sake of time, I will focus my attention on 418 here says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment or torment the one who fears is not made perfect in love so we, you see what happens as a result that Jesus kept talking about love 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 right if you love me if you love me two things obey my teachings stay together stick together and yet here we see love and fear uh, standing opposed to one another. If you've got love, it drives out fear. What, what's love? Love is the motivation to fulfill the Father's plan. The motivation to honor the Father's plan. Over even It overshadows everything else in my life. It overshadows any fear or worry or anxiety that I have in the world, about the world, or about my place in the world, or who I am in Christ, or any of that. It, it overshadows, it drives fear away. Because I am devoted 
to the Father's plan. I am devoted to the ideals and principles that have been laid out before me. I know, as it says, the rest of the story. So when you read around here, you see uh, some in, some definite things about love. I will just back up to one. This is how we love is made complete among us. This is verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And watch this. In this world, we are like Jesus. So what do you mean we're like Jesus? We love the Father's plan just like Jesus did. So we can then know, if that's true, that we have confidence when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. Love is not, did we make it? Did we not? Did we, will we be rewarded? Will we, will we not be rewarded? Love is, I know, I had the actual confidence. I see eye to eye with Jesus and the Father. So I have confidence on the day of judgment. I think Paul also did. I fought the good fight, he said. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, a crown of righteousness is laid up in store for me and all those who love his appearing. So there's confidence on the day of judgment when you have love. Yeah. We're going to have to move forward. There's much more that could be said. Point E. Jesus will not leave the disciples or us. When we say the disciples, we also can plug ourselves in to this because it's important that we see ourselves because we're in the world. We're on the battlefield. The disciples are not here anymore. But we are standing on the faith, the body of truth that they left us. So he will not leave us, disciples, defenseless, helpless, hopeless in the world. And we're just going to close out with these words from Jesus in John 17, 15 through 18. So 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it, in the same way as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. There, This is our destiny, right? The world's going to hate you. Not to worry about that. Keep your mind focused, transformed into uh, the image or mind of Christ. So we have a hope that we look forward to in this world. We're not worried that the world is going to crash and burn. We know that God has a plan for us, that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We know that, that God, God's, the, the Father's plan will succeed. And once we fully understand what he's doing, we can understand what we are doing in this world. And we can have hope. We can have confidence. And we can have love that drives out fear. So we're going to have to quit today, but we will continue uh, with this thought next week as we continue in John chapter 14. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of uh, giving us the opportunity to serve on the battlefield. It doesn't matter 
where you placed us. Uh, Father, we, we would be happy to serve anywhere you put us, but we respect your choices of where exactly we find ourselves in this world and what we are doing and the fact that we have the opportunity to serve on the battlefield. And knowing that our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers and evil, wickedness, and high places. So we prepare ourselves right, with the hope, the helmet, and all the shield of faith, and all the, the things that you have given us so that we can keep our focus on you and develop this love and perfect it even as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.